This is Classic Lutheran Preaching on KNNA LP 95.7, Lincoln, Nebraska. This is Pastor John Schmidt with an abridged reading of Martin Luther's sermon for the fourth Sunday after Trinity. This is from the John Nicholas Lenker Collection, published in 1905 and reissued by Baker Bookhouse in 1983. The scripture text for this sermon is Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 36. Jesus said, Be ye merciful, even as your Father in heaven is merciful. And judge not, and ye shall not be judged. And condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall they give into your bosom. For with what measure you meet it shall be measured to you again. And he spake also a parable unto them. Can the blind guide the blind? Shall they not both fall into a pit? The disciple is not above his teacher, but every one, when he is perfected, shall be as his teacher. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me cast out the mote that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. Thus far as the text. Beloved friends, upon this gospel a great deal might be said, but at present we will not consider it all, lest we overload ourselves and retain nothing. You have heard in the text how our dear Lord and Savior Jesus Christ holds up to us the works of mercy, how we should be merciful, not to judge nor to condemn, but gladly forgive every one, and in like manner willingly give and help all as there is need. If we do this, he says, there shall be given to us again good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. But if we will not do this, with the same measure we meet to others, it shall be measured to us again. By this he would earnestly forbid his Christians to condemn anyone, to judge or avenge themselves, or to take from anyone, but rather to give and forgive. For a better understanding of this gospel, we must in the first place reply to our adversaries who hold up this text against us as a strong, firm ground of their doctrine that a man can, by works, obtain forgiveness of sins and eternal life, and boast of it as though they already had surely gained the victory. They say, Here indeed it stands clearly written, Forgive and you shall be forgiven, give and it shall be given to you again. What can a man bring up against such clear passages? Therefore it certainly follows from this that a man can obtain forgiveness of sins by good works. Thus by these and similar passages concerning works they wish to prove that we are justified and saved by our own merit, and denounce and condemn us as heretics, because we teach that we are saved only through faith in Jesus Christ, who has been crucified and died for us, who gave his body and shed his blood for us for the forgiveness of sins. Thus they make Christ entirely unprofitable for us and call the doctrine of faith simply an error and falsehood. Here we see how the blind lead the blind. Well, we allow them to proceed because they want to be blind and hardened, but if they were in earnest to know the truth, they could plainly see from this gospel to what passages to which they so firmly hold properly refer and how they should be interpreted. For this gospel evidently and plainly says, that Christ does not speak to those who shall first obtain grace, but to his disciples, who already are children of grace and justified, 
and are also sent out by him, that they should preach to others such grace and salvation, from which it clearly follows that they already have forgiveness of sins, and are pious and justified, and are not first to obtain salvation through works. I say, he speaks to those and instructs them how they should conduct themselves toward their enemies, namely when they are persecuted by them, that they should not persecute them in return, but should patiently suffer all these things and do them good for evil. Hence it is not meant that by such works as are here enumerated they should first obtain forgiveness of sins and the righteousness that avails before God, but Christ speaks plainly and simply to his disciples, whom he had chosen and called apostles, as St. Luke shows preceding this gospel. Christ teaches them how they shall conduct themselves when they preach, as though he would say, You dear disciples, I send you as sheep among wolves, and command this office unto you to preach, and others shall hear your preaching, accept and believe it. And you will be so received that the world will be offended at you, and will regard you as enemies, and you will find just as much friendship and love in it as sheep among wolves. For it will become wholly mad and foolish at your preaching, and will by no means tolerate it. Therefore see to it that you lead a better life and conversation than your enemies, who will practice upon you all kinds of unmerciful deeds by judging and condemning you. Moreover, they will not only not forgive you any sin, but will proclaim your best works and deeds of mercy as the greatest sins. Again, they will not only not give you anything, but they will also hunt down that which is your own and will take and keep it by violence. Thus they will treat you. But beware that you be not like them. On the other hand, where they judge, judge not. Where they condemn, bless. Where they take revenge, forgive. When they take, give. For immediately before, the Lord teaches the very same when he says, Love your enemies, do good to them that hate you, bless them that curse you, pray for them that despitefully use you. From this one can easily see that Christ does not here teach us to become pious and just through our works, but admonishes those who were already pious and just that they be merciful like their Father in heaven, so that the heathen may thereby become better, and that thus unbelievers may be kindly enticed to become converted and edified, not only by preaching, but also by the merciful and blameless lives and good conduct of the good and just. Thus, says Christ here, should you Christians also do, because you are children of grace and peace, not of anger and discord, and are also called to inherit the blessing. Therefore you should also bring the blessing among the people, first by your preaching and public confession, and after that also by your good conduct outwardly, so that when the unbelievers judge and condemn you, treat you unmercifully, and rob you, you will be merciful to them, and not avenge yourselves, but give and forgive, and besides help, love, and bless them, and speak the best things of them before God and the world, that they may also observe by your good conduct that you are pious and blameless people, who do not only suffer evil, but also return good for evil. By this you will obtain a good name among the heathen, and be estimable and honorable in my sight, who art your Lord and God. Thus you see that this text does not at all permit us to conclude from it that forgiveness of sins is obtained by works, for Christ here speaks to those who are already children of grace, and does not instruct them how to obtain by works, as the papists dream, the forgiveness of sins, which they already had by grace. However, he here teaches them how they are to conduct themselves when they go forth and preach toward the people who persecute, judge, and condemn them, 
and afflict them with all kinds of torment and misfortune, that they immediately do the contrary, not judge nor condemn, but forgive and give, and then they shall also be neither judged nor condemned before God or the world. And even though the world judge them, still God will not condemn them, as it is said in Psalm 37, so it shall also be forgiven and given them again. Thus Christ admonishes his disciples with these words that they diligently perform the duties of their office and preach with courage, let it offend whom it may, and that nothing whatever may lead them astray, even though all the world revile and curse. Let them only freely continue, and they shall be richly rewarded. For it is already determined in heaven that there shall be given unto them full measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. From all this it is certainly clear that Christ does not here speak of that righteousness, of how a man becomes just before God, which takes place alone through faith in Jesus Christ, but he teaches his disciples how to lead a good life here on earth among unbelievers, by which they may be of great benefit to those who judge and condemn them. When they do such things, it shall be rewarded unto them again both here and hereafter, not that they thereby merit the forgiveness of sins, for no work, be it ever so good, is able to accomplish this. But when they on this account suffer or lose anything, it shall be returned to them even here in this life an hundredfold, as it is written in Mark chapter 10. And in the life to come, they will be more gloriously arrayed and adorned than other saints. Why? Because they have suffered and done more for Christ's sake than others. For Daniel the prophet says in chapter 12 of his prophecy that the teachers shall shine as the brightness of the firmament after the resurrection of the dead, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars for ever and ever. And St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, For one star differeth from another star in glory, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The Lord further says, When you fail to do this, but return evil for evil, it shall be measured to you again, for with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. For by thus judging and condemning those who judge and condemn you, you sufficiently show that you are not my true disciples, and have not yet the forgiveness of sins, or else you would do what I have commanded you, from which it follows further that your faith is not right. So with you it will be changed, and you will hear from me that you have no faith and are false Christians. This is sufficiently proved because you still judge one another, and one does not assist the other. This my Christians will not do. Therefore your sins will remain upon you and will only become greater, as is shown in the parable of the wicked servant who owed his Lord ten thousand talents and would not pay it. The Lord forgave him the debt out of pure grace, but as he would not forgive his fellow servant the very little debt, he again fell into his own former debt which was forgiven him and brought down upon himself the great wrath of his Lord who delivered him over to the tormentors, as it says in Matthew 18. Thus our dear Lord would here kindly and lovingly invite us to do good works and lead a Christian life also among our enemies. But when we fail to do this, he threatens us that he would not regard us as Christians. For such works are as a sign or confession that we are true Christians. In addition to this, other people will be made better by such works, and so will we ourselves who do them. As St. Peter says, we make our calling and election sure and thereby and become richer in faith. To this friendly admonition of Christ our Lord, we Christians, and especially we ministers, should diligently give due heed. For we also have at the present day adversaries of our faith and doctrine who are great and powerful, kings, princes, lords, pope, and bishops, 
To these our enemies, according to this doctrine of Christ, we show all mercy, and are not willing that a hair of their heads should be injured, or that they should be robbed of assent. But this we wish them from our heart, that they may learn to know their errors and sins, and commit themselves to the grace of God, and believe the gospel. On this account they judge, condemn, and persecute us, rob us of honor, goods, body, and life, as though we were the worst rogues that tread the earth. Such things we do not do to them in return, God be praised, but show them all love and kindness, and would willingly help them if they would only permit it. Yes, they say, you revile us nevertheless, both in writing and preaching, and condemn us as heretics, and will not permit us to be the Christian church. Is such reproof and condemnation mercy? We answer, this is quite a different matter. Christ in his gospel speaks of those who shall suffer injustice. And it would not be right to apply this to those who by virtue of their office are required to reprove what is wrong. For those who have the office to judge and condemn do no wrong thereby in so doing. For as little as it agrees or is valid for a child to say to its father when he would punish it, Father, be merciful, and God will then also be merciful to thee. So little is it also valid against those who have the office of reproof. For it would be very inappropriate for a thief or evildoer to say to the officer of the law, Forgive and do not judge me, and then our Lord God would also again forgive thee. No, my dear fellow, the officer of the law, by virtue of his office, will thus answer and say, It is not necessary that I should forgive you. I do what is right, and doing right needs no forgiveness, but is praiseworthy. Thus also when father and mother punish their children, they do right, for this is called true punishment, when the office requires it. But beware that you do not revenge yourselves against him who must punish you, even if at times he treats you unjustly. Thus also a judge can say, when by virtue of his office he sentences the evildoer unto death, that he serves God thereby. So also father and mother, when they punish their child as it has deserved, thus serve God. But if they punish it somewhat milder than it deserves, it is for the good of the child. We must make a distinction, however, for it is vastly different when a person punishes who has the office to punish, and when one punishes who has not this office. An office, call it what you may, is ordained to punish sin, not to tolerate wrong, but to protect the right. Therefore, because I and other ministers have this office, we do right, a work of mercy for the people, when we rebuke them, let whoever will do us good or evil for it. Just as it is a great mercy not to allow young people to have their will and way, whether it be accomplished by threats or by the rod, it will still cost trouble and labor enough to oppose and prevent evil, even though we punish severely. If punishment were altogether omitted and mercy took the place of office, the country would be full of rogues, and the world would become a mere den of murderers. Then one would say to another, If you steal from me, I will rob you. If you go with my wife, I will go with yours. No, this would never do. Therefore the executioner is a very beneficial and even a merciful man, for he prevents the rogue from repeating his crime and restrains others from committing crimes. He executes the one and thus threatens others that would do the like, that they may fear the sword and keep the peace. This is a magnificent grace and pure mercy. Again, the great and godless crowd scold and condemn us on account of this our reproof, as heretics and traitors, who disturb both the old faith and worship and also the worldly government at peace. We must bear this. Yet our conscience gives us the testimony that they wrongfully accuse us, 
and besides we are all comforted to know that we are not the first ones who have been thus slandered. St. Paul also had to hear from Jews and Gentiles that he was a blasphemer and traitor. Yea, Christ himself was accused before Pilate for misleading the people and making them disobedient to the emperor, for which also he was crucified. With them we are glad to be cried down as heretics and traitors until the time when our innocence shall come to light. If now the wretched hardened papists were not such bitter enemies of the truth, and of us on account of the truth, they could observe by our life that we hold firmly to this admonition of Christ, be merciful. For God be praised, we have not thus far avenged ourselves against any man who has done us injury. We have not driven any one from house and home, wife and child. We have cast no one into prison on account of his faith, much less have we beheaded, burnt at the stake, or hung anyone for his faith, as the papists have done, the tender saints, who have for the last few years shed much innocent blood and still do not cease. But we have complied with this doctrine and admonition of Christ, and have honored their order and government, and confirmed it with our doctrine as far as they are right. We have prayed and pleaded for them, privately and publicly, and have faithfully also admonished them in writings by virtue of our office which God has committed to our charge. And for this our mercy we have received from them this reward, that they have put us under the ban, cursed and persecuted us, and driven many of our brethren from their possessions and murdered them. What more shall we do? Yet we must bear the name of being impatient, angry, spiteful, and revengeful people who judge and condemn all the world. Well, we must bear this disgrace before the world until our dear Lord Jesus Christ, the just judge, shall examine us and decide the matter. In the meantime, we permit them evermore to lie, slander, and persecute us. But they shall learn by experience when God's time comes, whom they have slandered and persecuted in us. This much is said of the chief meaning of this gospel, how we are to be merciful also toward our enemies. Now we should also apply it to our own lives. We who want to be Christians and brethren should practice this among ourselves, for it is very necessary also that this admonition be preached to us. Although we are all called evangelical, I fear that the most of us are heathen under the Christian name. Well, what shall we do about it? We must allow the name to all, although few there be who bear it in truth. For St. Paul in Second Thessalonians 3 says, For all have not faith. And Christ himself complains in Matthew 22 that many are called but few are chosen. Now those who are true Christians should with all diligence take this admonition of Christ to heart, that they may not only be friendly toward enemies, but also much more to those called Christians. Therefore let everyone who goes to the sacrament and pretends to be a Christian take heed to himself that he deceive not himself. For one can now see well what a scraping, grabbing, and scratching there is even among those who want to be Christians, from the lowest to the highest stage of society. It is a sin and a shame to hear it. Nearly everyone falls into this shameful greed, and such a state may well be called a swine's life, for as the swine in the trough, Whichever one is the strongest pushes the rest away as though she wanted to devour all herself, just so it goes in the world today, and every one goes securely forth, gives nothing whatever, and takes all he can get, whether he gets it rightfully or wrongly, so that the word give, which stands here in the gospel, has almost disappeared, and instead robbery and theft in homes and in the market have everywhere come to take its place. 
What unfaithfulness prevails even among day laborers and house servants? How shamefully they earn their bread with malicious unfaithfulness, cheating and overcharging. They do not look upon it as stealing, and yet it is just as much stealing when they labor unfaithfully as when they steal it out of our purse. This is the way servants and laborers do, and it matters not by what they are called. But how will such people stand in that day when Christ shall ask them whether they have done according to his admonition? For if Christians are to be merciful to their enemies, as Christ here teaches, much more will it become them to show all love and friendship toward their brethren and Christian people. And as they are not to curse their enemies, much less should they curse their friends. Again, if they are not to avenge themselves on unbelievers, but give to them and do them good, much more should they show this kindness to the household of faith. Yes, turn the thing around to rob, to covet, and to take advantage of another wherever one can. This goes on yet in the world with violence. But the Holy Gospel says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. And if we do not hold ourselves to this rule, we shall hear the opposite. Steal and rob, and you shall be robbed and stolen from again. Now we Christians should be more influenced by what the Holy Scriptures teach. Thus David says in Psalm 37, Better in a little that the righteous hath than the abundance of many wicked. And the reason immediately follows. For the arm of the wicked shall be broken, and the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the perfect, and their inheritance shall be forever. As though he would say, Although a good man may have but little, if he only has it with God and honor, it will be dearer to him than all the treasures of the ungodly. For our Lord God will shower his blessings upon that little, so that it will last to children's children to the thousandth generation. This is also apparent, for at the present time we find many old and honorable families in the cities, whose possessions have reached to several hundred generations, whereas with others it has disappeared with the third. We should learn from this in similar passages, and hold to it because it is the truth, because it is better to have thirty dollars with God in honor than three thousand one without God and with dishonor. For God blesses the little which the righteous have, says Psalm 37, so that he may not only possess it with a good conscience, but will also be to his benefit, and he will use it so that God may be pleased with it. But the wealth that has been unjustly obtained may be enjoyed for a time, yet because God's blessing does not rest upon it, it wears away and loses itself, so that we cannot tell what has become of it, for it has been won by greed and wrong, and as they did not regard it as stealing for one to scrape altogether and give nothing away, the rust is entered into it and eats it up, so that it cannot be seen that there ever was a penny there, as also the heathen have learned from experience and say, by evil acquired, by evil it goes, and as it is one, so it is gone. But why say more? One will not grow wise except by his own losses. We let our Lord God promise and threat in vain, but who asks about it? Though we preach ever so much, Proverbs 11, Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. And he that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as the green leaf. Everyone thinks the while, Dear sir, say what you will. If I had money and goods, I would be free from all distress. They simply make our Lord God a liar, but they will experience sooner than they wish that they are deceived. Therefore, my dear friends, let us fear and trust in God and hereafter be merciful and kind, not only toward enemies, as this gospel teaches, but still more toward our friends and brethren. 
especially because we hear that our Lord is such an enemy to shameful covetousness that he will blow upon such ill-gotten gain so that it will vanish and fly away as the dust before the wind. The prophet Haggai says of the miser that he gathers into a bag with holes, as though he would say, Well, they may gather, but it will do them no good, because they want to get rich by greed even to the injury of others. And Solomon says, The godless man, when he has for a long time gathered wealth in heaps, has such a curse in his house that he not only does not become better by his wealth, but it also disappears under his hands as though the rust had devoured it. Now, dear friends, do not despise such a warning, but take it to yourselves, and if you have already been ensnared by this covetousness, turn again and reform. Therefore let everyone be diligent to comply with this admonition, that he willingly give if he desires that it shall be given unto him again. If he will not do this, Christ will most certainly keep his word that it shall not be given unto him again. And though he already has something, there shall not be given to him grace enough to enjoy it as has already been shown from scripture passages. Now we tell you this as a warning. If you will not receive it, but despise it, you will not despise me who told it to you, but the Lord Christ who tells it to you through me. But if you receive it and do better, I will give you no reward, for I cannot reward the works of a Christian. But he who says here, Give, and it shall be given to you, will richly reward it. Whoever will, let him accept, and whoever will not, can let it alone. This text will not become false on that account. Everyone who despises this admonition of Christ will find his condemnation on the last day. And it is indeed to be wondered at that we willingly and with great care, weariness, and labor, for the stingy man's stinginess becomes very hard, 1 Timothy 6, should bring into our own house first our own injury and curse, whereas with lighter labor and a more joyful courage, if we according to the doctrine of Christ should give and help our neighbor, could well be rich. For he who said, Give, and it will be given to you, will certainly keep his word, and give again to those who obey his admonition, and that abundantly. For he says, A full, pressed down, shaken together, and overrunning measure shall be given to you again. Were it not better, you had but little with God in honor, and give and help the needy according to your ability, and have thereby a good conscience and the glorious comfort that God will bless and increase your humble store, than that you should, with care and restlessness and with an evil conscience, have great possessions, which you not only cannot enjoy, but cannot even be a master of. For a miser is mammon's servant and a captive. And yet you do not only know from God's word, although you will not believe it, but also from daily experience, that it will do your children or heirs no good, but by the very consumption of it, they shall become poor. What have you of it at last, O wretched man, when you have so long scraped and scratched together, except that you have made your life very toilsome in sins and the devil, when your last hour comes, will drag you into your, the abyss of hell, and so you will not only shamefully lose your money and goods, which in this life you never could enjoy, but besides you also wretchedly lose both body and soul. And upon all this with your condemned treasures you bring down God's displeasure and curse upon your children and heirs, who have become no better than yourself, but fall into poverty and into all distress and misfortune. Very well, he that will hear, let him hear. For everyone must bear his own burden, as St. Paul says in Galatians 5. I believe it also. Therefore you who will not hear, answer for yourselves. This is enough of this gospel for a small admonition. God grant that in some of you it may bring forth fruit. Amen. 
This has been a presentation of Classical Lutheran Preaching from the Sermons of Martin Luther, the John Nicholas Lenker Collection of 1905, and reprinted by Baker Bookhouse in 1983. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.